Hello, my name is Joy Ross, and I live in Harlem Park on Fulton Avenue currently. Um, I transplanted here in 2003 from Charlotte, North Carolina. And so many people ask me, why did you leave Charlotte? Well, I always felt that once I got my educational degree, I wanted to bring it back to a place where my services could be utilized. And having five children, two biological, three adopted, living in Charlotte gave them a false sense of reality. And it was hard for me to get a lot of the services like Upward Bound and different programs that enriched them while they was growing up. So I saw opportunities in Baltimore. There was commercials that says, Live Baltimore during the O'Malley's administration. They had the red line coming. I figured it's my opportunity to be ahead of the game and go ahead and purchase a house and restore it and reverse my investments. Long story short, um, once we moved here, the kids was in total culture shock. Um, the three adopted were from urban cities, so it wasn't unusual for them, but the two biological, they came from a Montessori background, so they had no clue what it was like living in Baltimore City. Because me and my husband was together and we knew that the family structure began at home, we knew that they would have a strong foundation and survive this. But you couldn't tell them that early on, especially when they had to go to Frederick Douglass High School. But it turns out that our girls were, um, they were leaders. And they were able to acclimate their environment to be more of their environment. You know, um instead of hanging out, then they will bring them home because they know as long as you bring the kids, your friends home, they can hang at home. It was no hanging out outside the house. So um, that's a short skit of how we moved here. So originally, I'm from North Carolina. I went to college in New Jersey. I went to Helene Full School of Nursing, which is a BSN prepare program, and I got my BSN from Rutgers University. And my husband um, was a police officer when we met. Um, he became a, he wanted to be a sheriff. So he got the opportunity to go to Charlotte. We moved to Charlotte. And shortly after 9-11, where we both had to come up and help out in New York for a short period of time, um, he decided he wanted to be a sheriff, a state trooper, I'm sorry. Well, the only place he could be a state trooper was here in Baltimore because the cutoff age was 59 and a half. And at the time, he was in his 40s. So we slept up to Baltimore, and this is how we got here. Great. Thanks. Mm -hmm. um, and I guess you can kind of talk about your role in your community and um, you know, how you see yourself in your neighborhood and community. I definitely see myself as a leader um, by default. Um, initially, when I moved here, I wanted to empower the community um, because I knew I was somewhere I didn't have to be. But I knew that by happenstance that I could educate people and get them to kind of see things my way. I met a lot of challenges in the beginning. 
um, especially with the home buying process. I was fortunate enough to buy the house through Long and Foster, um, paid very little to nothing for it, you know, basically a two weeks income. Determined that we was going to take our skills because my husband had carpentry. He had a brother that's a plumber and a brother's electrician. Utilize our family to help reverse out our um, property and be worth it instead of being indebted to it. So I went and talked to my neighbors because no one talked to people when I first moved here. I just couldn't imagine people not saying hi. They walk out their front door every day and no one speaks. I'm like, wow, this is a real urban experience, right? <laughs> so I said, well, I'm just going to knock on the door and let everyone know who I am and try to figure out who everyone else is around here. And, you know, initially they weren't receptive. I got a lot of negative um, feedback when I talked about how we can get together as a community and redo our houses and um, make them worth something and kind of come together and rally this community together. They was not trying to hear it. The first thing they said, oh, if we get a loan on the house, then our taxes are going to go up. I wanted to explain to them, you know, we have a lot of things happening in Baltimore that's going to put you in an impossible position anyway. They weren't trying to hear it, and they saw me as a rebel. You know what I mean? They didn't see me as being someone who can help empower them as I was the, the, the radical one who was coming and disrupting the way life was. So we went to the library, me and the kids. When they did their homework, I went and did some research on Baltimore to understand the rules, the laws, the architect, you know, like how did Baltimore become Baltimore? Because where I came from, it was like a house every three acres apart, you know, in, in the country. But I've always loved the urban architect here. And um, I found out some things like I can call 311 to get trees. 311 to get the sidewalks repaired. 311 to get the streets done. I'm like, wow, in my home, you got to pay for all this. <laughs> These services, I can just make a phone call and make it work. So, of course, me and my husband, we began working on the house. And as we're outdoors, we're meeting people. And I'm looking at the, the beautiful, it's, it's not really hilly on Fulton Avenue, but it's a nice little slopey type view where you can see, like, all the way from one end of Fulton almost to North Avenue. Mm -hmm. So I said, I wonder what it would be like if we had trees here. And I remember looking at a book called Baltimore Then and Now, how it looked with trees. So I called Forestry. It, 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 it was so simple. I mean, they came and they said, we'll bring the trees on this day. Had someone come out to put the holes in the ground. Next day I know trees were up. As the trees came up, the people start coming outside their houses. It was just amazing. So then I figured, well, since the people won't help me help them, then I'll be the one to gather information to bring it to them. <laughs> so to keep them empowered and let them know, hey, because I find that in Baltimore, a lot of people have lost hope. They don't believe anymore. And um, I guess with the transient administration, you know, they know things aren't going to happen. So... As we got trees, some sidewalk repairs, routine grass removal, then after O'Malley administration, um, we had a community um, revitalization that was slated for the area that fell through. And it was sponsored by Bank of America and they just backed out. So the only thing that manifested from that was Harlem Gardens. 
And I think it's another um, apartment building across from Lafayette Square that manifested out of that program. But meanwhile, all the houses were torn down. And where I live at was the last lot that was torn down on Landville Street. And that just left it looked barren. I, I just couldn't believe houses were torn down just because. So finally, um, when that fell through... And I had a talk with Miss Campbell and Mr. Um, Ronald Bailey, and I noticed that I had a neighbor, Antoinette, who lived across the street that also was a nurse, but we didn't know each other. Mm-hmm. And we kind of rallied together and said, you know what, we all got a little college degree. Let's see what we can do. <laughs> you know, we can do something. So that's how we formed a community association. And Layla helped teach us how we can find out things that are going on and how we can make things happen for ourselves. But I personally believe that as we got stronger in knowledge and utilized that, you know, that force that we were meeting, you know, adversity with the city, because the city already had plans that did not include us or the community itself, which is fine. You know, my goal is always to see something happen, you know, not just to let it be and just be forgotten and become a dumping ground. But... We we were unsuccessful when the red line fell through. That lost some of our steam, and um, the ice house caught on fire. It was a planned development there, and then it caught on fire again. Um, we had Mr. Wiley's funeral home that came up. Not that we were against it, but we just didn't have an opportunity to have an impact on its location. And, um. Pretty much, you know, that was what empowered me, is knowing that I could, as a single voice, make a difference in this town. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just by having all these resources at my fingertip. Mm-hmm. And um, how would you describe your neighborhood or community to people that aren't from that area or... How would I describe it to yeah. people that are not from yeah, that area? Yeah, not from Baltimore. It's not desirable. Um, my parents are still living, and they live in North Carolina. And when they came up to visit, they was just astonished. They was like, oh, my gosh. You ever see the Beverly Hillbillies riding? In? <laughs> That's how my parents look. And the first thing my mom and dad said was, Joy, we didn't raise you this way. Why are you staying here? I says, Mom, you did raise us this way. You taught us to give back. You taught us that do not forget where we came from. And she's like, you didn't come from this. I says, well, maybe not directly, but when I was a little girl, my mom went to Howard University, and I remember seeing row houses. And I said to myself one day, I'm going to buy me a row house when I get grown. She says, oh, you was too little. You was only seven. Yeah, I was only seven, but... um, that had an impact on me, seeing how people can live so close together and still be so separate. You know, I love looking at a row house and then being able to go inside and you be in a whole different world. And next door can be a whole different world. You know what I mean? Every row house can be its own individual world and you're still together. But um, she wasn't happy. So with Baltimore now... To be honest with you, I couldn't encourage anyone 
to come and stay here. Um, not so much of the crime. I think a lot of the crime is crime on crime here. Um, I just don't think our, um, I don't think the political scene is organized enough. Like we could get something going today and three months later we have a no, whole new administration and now things are discombobulated again and it starts all over again. So we keep spinning this wheel that never gets us anywhere. So I find it very difficult from where I come from. Um, we don't see transient leaders. Um, usually when there's a plan in place and we elect someone for that plan, we kind of stick it out. Mm. Like, where I come from, you would never see a red line demolished. Like, at the, just like that. I mean, I remember going to the different forums and working on a red line and helping suggest um, things and give ideas on what I would like to see in a community. And to see all the effort gone, it's just, you know, it was it was devastating for me. Mm-hmm. Because when I lived in North Carolina, that was a big focal point. The commercials, live Baltimore, live Baltimore. They talk about how they was going to be connected in 70 and all these things. And you get here and it's like a joke, you know what I mean? Um, I also remember when they talked about with the revitalization that was working inward the city. But then when you go to Bells Point near Canton, instead of the plan sticking in place to work within, now they push and work without right. with outside the parameters. I'm sure you've heard of the black butterfly, mm-hmm. correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And how does that make you feel when you think about kind of where resources are going in the city and and uh, racist kind of policies and things that impact your neighborhood? Well, to be honest with you, um, I don't I, I don't feel that that's a deterrent. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's something that we're allowing to happen. You know what I mean? I, I believe a difference can be made when you get the right mixture. And I believe that the reason change hasn't happened because we haven't had the right mixture. And the community is so negative. Like, even when we did a get-out-the-vote drive, all I keep hearing the people say is, nothing's going to change. Why are we voting? Like, you know, it took a lot of effort to help them understand that you're voting not just for change. You're voting because you're relevant. You're voting to say, you know, sometimes you don't even have to cast a ballot. I voted because it's my right, but yet none of you guys are worthy of my vote that still gets attention. So we was able to increase the numbers just by with that information. We was able to take that negative energy and reverse it to um, something positive. The, the force to vote, the force them to um, practice their rights. The hope is gone here on the west side and I think that's by design as well. Um, I've talked to on Blue. It's nothing I can say. They're like, Miss Joy, you're not from here. I've been in Baltimore all my life, and this and that, and this and that. So I don't think, um, I think some of our community leaders play a huge part in where we are today because I think sometimes you got to accept a little something to get to some distance. And we have members in our community who fight everything. If you want a bench in the park, they're going to fight it. 
because they don't want to uh, attract people sitting in the park. Well, that's what a park is for. <laughs> you know what I mean? You don't want a basketball court because you don't want young people around. Well, you want diversity. You want all com- people in the community, black, white, gay, straight. It doesn't matter who you are. A community is just what it is. It's a mixture of everyone. And um, Why do you think they're so resistant? Because I've experienced that, too. They're just older. Um, yeah. They don't want to see change, and they still reminiscing from a time of what went instead what of was. right a time of what could be. You know what I mean? I mean, even I, myself with five kids, I struggle with change. You know, mom, you got to get cash app on your phone and this and that. You know, because it's a new way of making financial exchange. You know what I mean? To me, it's not uh, the way I choose to do it but I have to get with the times you know I'm 55 myself so I can't expect things to be how they were back in my time you know what I mean and I just think that um, the stronger voices are the older voices and they're not taking in consideration of the community encompassing everyone and their ideas um like, I think Harlem Park is zoned 99% residential. And when I try to explain to people that when you have that much residential and no other resources, then guess who has to pay all the taxes? Yeah. Residential. Yeah. You know what I mean? It says, you know, um, it's just not a viable community that way. But they don't want to see it any other way. So... So if you were to look at, like, your hopes for the community over mm-hmm. the next 10 years, what were some of your, what would your priorities be or your vision for things for Harlem Park? I would like to see mixed-use development on the empty land space. I would like to see more people and diverse um, I would like to see um, some youth activities, but my concern with youth activities in the city is there's not a lot lot of parental involvement. Like, these kids are able to do things by themselves that would make me neurotic as a parent. Mm -hmm. I mean, like, literally being alone or walking to a store or whatever, that was not happening with my kids. So... I like to see a lot of youth things, but I like to see things that encompass the parents being involved. Um, I would like to see more um, physical transportation versus mechanical, like bicycles, skateboards. I like the scooters, the birds. Um, I, w- I would like to see more walking. Um, I don't think what I see is conducive to a community. I, it's just not doesn't necessarily have to be family-oriented, but um, maybe more healthy settings. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't like seeing um, kids smoking and using a lot of profanity, but it sounds like it's a new language now. <laughs> you know, no one acknowledges it anymore, you know what I mean? It's, it's a lot of changes I would like to see. Unfortunately, I have to come to the fact that when we have a new administration, 
then whatever was implemented that was not already in place, things are going to change again. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. and I've never seen that any town that I lived in, not even in Jersey. But this is it's just as soon as something gets in place. I mean, I think we worked on that red line. At least for the length of time that I was here, it was already enforced. Mm -hmm. And to get down to the point where the money has made a transfer, that was significant. Um, that was at the state level. It was shut down. Mm -hmm. when Governor Hogan mm -hmm. came in. Mm -hmm. I remember people were... Oh, it was livid. I mean, transportation is everything when you talk about right. jobs. Mm -hmm. And if you're talking about green and keeping things clean, and it's not conducive for every household to have a car. Right. I mean, in every bad. major city, there's that is fu high functioning. There's transportation mm -hmm. for people. Mm -hmm. And right now in Baltimore, you really can't get from east side to west side very easily without a car. No, you cannot. And the kids that ride the bus across town, it takes them an hour and a half or more to get to school. So no wonder they're late, huh? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so you come with this energy and vision and radical thought, um, and you saw some things happen again with, or not happen with the mm -hmm. red line and other mm -hmm. stuff. Um, you've seen some positive change mm -hmm. happen. But with all that, what keeps you, keeps your spirit going and, you know, how do you keep doing this work? Why do you keep doing this work? You know, I ask myself that all the time. Like, I'm running late for you because I'm doing three one ones in the community. Like, we had some dumping last night. I don't. I can't tell you what drives me because um, community service, where I came from, is it was it was just what we did. There was no um, nothing that governed us. You know, we live in the south. We see paper, we pick it up. Um, we clean up when we see where it's needed. You know, what I mean, it was no. No one said to me that you can get seventy five credits to graduate because of community service. It was something that was just ingrained in us, you know what I mean? So, I don't know. Me and my husband, we still have a home in Charlotte, and um, we're not ready to leave the city because I, I, I love the energy of living in the city. I love the movement. I love um, people. You know, in the South, you don't get a chance to see people at their rawness because everyone either leave their house and drive and go where they got to go and then come back. It's not South anymore, you know what I mean? But um, here, sometimes when I think of Baltimore, I think of it as being a merry-go-round. You know, when I want to get out and play, I can go out and play. When I get tired, I get off the merry-go-round, I go in my house and I feel like I'm not in the city. Mm. So I don't know what keeps me here. Um, I don't want to lose hope. You know, I want to continue to believe that change can happen. I don't know how <laughs> it's going to happen. Uh, we're working on the master plan for the community again that has not been done since the year I was born, which is in 66. Mm. So I'm, I'm excited to be a part of that. Um, I know there's change happening to West Baltimore. Um, I don't know if I want to live through it to see it or live to see it distantly. You know what I mean? My career is one thing that definitely keeps me here because um, healthcare is a huge industry here. And it is so much that's needed. And 
um, I did start a business here because of Baltimore. So I wanted to continue to capitalize and provide the service to people who otherwise probably couldn't get it or it wouldn't be an issue if I was in North Carolina. Will you state uh, what your business is? Oh, the name of the business is called Concepts in Healthcare. And the reason I named it Concepts in Healthcare is I had an opportunity to meet a, a physician at John Hopkins many years ago when I was working for Interim Healthcare right before they was closing down their home care part. And Interim promised to be a subcontractor for some of his clinical trials. And Interim was, okay, we're getting out of here. We're selling our Medicare license. Um, you're going to have to find another vendor. And his name is Dr. Rita Gerges. I thought it was a girl until I heard him on the phone. I didn't know they named men Rita. And he says, you know, I need a nurse. I said, what kind of nurse? He says, I'm running this clinical trial for pulmonary hypertension, and I need a nurse to go see my patients. You know, so he told me to go look up clinical trial and see what it was about, you know, how retention in the studies was an issue and People who entered in the study was healthy subjects who had to work and who did not have time to come to his doctor's office two to three times a week. So I read about how clinical trials work, and I'm like, well, it's what we already do in home care. We draw blood. We drop the specimens off. He said, well, what do you charge me? I said, I don't know. I have to think about it. He says, you don't have it a day. You know, he was very frank and direct, right? He says, you need to get your business up and running. And then we'll do the contracts, and I'll give you my patients. He said, I'm going to start you off with, like, four. And then he says, after four, then he said, you can get up to 30 or 40 patients, but they need to be seen every two weeks. He literally gave me an order, and I wasn't even working for him. Yeah. But in our clinical world, you have to abide by a doctor's order. So, you know, I talked to um, the sites that conducts his studies, which end up giving he gives a work to and they manage the study throughout the United States. He was just one part of it. And I was managing the one in Maryland. So I got everything started. I'm like, you know what? This is going to be difficult because this really isn't health care as we know it through Department of Mental Health and Human Hygiene. But it falls under health care. So I had to hire a lawyer and get him to write up the regs and the rules and the policies for me to reflect what I do because it wasn't something that's traditional in the nursing that would give me the oversight. I would be working on the FDA. So FDA has a different protocol, which is good clinical practice. So anyway, we got all the paperwork done, took on his assignments. And from there, I'm like, you know what? I'm in my own business. <laughs> but the name came about because almost everything in healthcare that I was able to discover, there was a facet of it that was unaddressed but could not be met by insurance companies or a reimbursable source. Just like now with the pandemic, you know, I started working on injectable solutions about a year and a half ago because I wanted to start off giving vaccines at home because we have a huge population of people who are homebound and bedbound. So I was like, wow, how did these people get back and forth to the doctor's office for just basic things like getting your flu shot every year or maybe a lot of our elderly population get B12 injections every year and you have to pay all these hundreds of dollars for transportation to get to the doctor, be uncomfortable eight hours just to get back home. 
So I said, I'm going to start this this service, and it's going to be another concept in healthcare. That's where the whole name came about. So in the process, I was doing research, and then, of course, we had a pandemic. So now I'm thinking, you know what? They're mandating that everyone has to have the vaccination. How are our homebound patients going to get the vaccinations? Because the only way you can work as an independent um, employee in this state, unless you have a nursing license. So are they going to manage it so nurses come out to the home? And everyone ran into a roadblock when the insurance company says they will not pay for a nurse just to perform one task that doesn't require the skill of a nurse because the nurse doesn't have to give the injection. But you need a nurse to oversight the process. So... Wild. Mm-hmm. Well, is there anything else, Miss Joy, you want to share about your story or something you helped make happen in your neighborhood? There's lots of things I want to do for our ne- so much, but I find that it's our resources that get into the way, our political resources. Um, I've been trying to get cameras forever on Fulton Avenue. Every time, it's always, oh, you need to do a traffic study. We had a traffic study done. They send someone out 5 o'clock in the morning when nobody's... <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like everything is so antiquated. We need speed bumps on Kirby Lane. Oh, we can't put speed bumps on Kirby Lane. But they already knew they had a plan to shut down Harriet Tubman anyway. You know what I mean? So our city officials are not cohesive with the community, yeah. as they say. When I first moved here, things were were a little bit more seamless, yeah. getting trees. Now I'm trying to get trees replaced as a task. Um, getting trash. I can't even talk about the trash situation because obviously we had a pandemic. So I can't complain about that because they didn't have the resources, you know, to have the trash pick up. But, I mean... I don't know. I think when Sheila Dixon took away the trash day, it had a huge impact on the communities as well. Because mm-hmm. now it set up another resource funding for fines and excessive mm-hmm. fees for your trash being not in the can and people's cans were being stolen. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just so much. <laughs> it is. Yeah. I mean, I... Uh... I hear all, a lot of other uh, leaders' stories, same, like a lot of the same struggles in different neighborhoods throughout Baltimore. I wonder, um, it's kind of related to the last question, but are there other women leaders, you know, I know you work with a lot, um, Antoinette and um, mm-hmm. Layla, but uh, are you connected or do you feel connected with other leaders across Baltimore? No. Well... Some. Um, Inez, um, she lives in Sandtown. Arlene Fisher, um, Steve Preston, he lives in Patterson Park. He's able to help us get things done. Oh, cool. Um, Ronald Bailey, Sedonia, he's able to help us get things done because his wife used to be the personal assistant to, what's her name, Pugh. Mm-hmm. They're not crazy about mm-hmm. Baltimore, too, where it's mm-hmm. like, it mm-hmm. really is about who you know. Who you know. So, <laughs> I could call Ronald Bailey, and he can pick up the phone, they're out there within hours getting the trash. He mm-hmm. calls Soloway, and we could be calling for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm-hmm. 
um, Gwen has been a wonderful asset to us. Um, mm-hmm. She, we can call her too, mm-hmm. and get help that we need it. Um, John Bullock, and that's it. Yeah. I can think of. Yeah. Do so you get phone calls a lot from community members and stuff? Mainly emails. Emails. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what's your role right now with the community association? I'm the president of Harlem Park West. We develop Harlem Park West. Um, we try to get things done with Harlem Park Neighborhood Council, and we found that it was unproductive. Um, everything we want to happen couldn't happen. We've had developers. We got involved with bills. You, you know who Baltimore United and Leadership Development. We got involved with them, and everything we wanted done, it was a no, no. You have to go through neighborhood council, and it was more so about power than productivity. So what we did was we branched off the outermost corner of Harlem Park and named it Harlem Park West and the boundaries that we live in to try to get some things happening. And we did. And it allowed us to come together a little better, but um, we still have some challenges dealing with the council. Um, They're the oldest um, community resource in the area. Mm -hmm. And as you can see, the least productive Mm -hmm. when it comes to getting things to happen. And who's your council person? Bullock. Bullock, yeah. Okay. He's a new kid on the block. Mm. But he was voted into the house to get things done, and he's really trying. But he's meeting a lot of challenges um, with the different type of development. But we have so much land space. Yeah, you do. It's a wild. lot. 